Good evening. I'm Joseph Martinez, and welcome to Dead Time Stories, a podcast presented by Ranker, dedicated to just that. Short, scary stories submitted by real people. Whether the stories are real or not, who knows? But they are scary. Tonight, our host, Deadhead, shares with you six tales. Now, please forgive me. I can take you no further. But your stories lie just ahead. Do be careful, though. Deadhead can be... Mercurial. I'll wait for you here. Godspeed. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Here for movie night? Excellent. Because tonight's six twisted tales center around one sickening cinema known as the Sunset Metropolis. First up, we start where it all began. Horror historian Gregory shares the theater's bloody backstory in 1929. The Sunset Metropolis Theater is like any other major architecture and arcana of Los Angeles. Beautiful to look at, and home to dark secrets. My name is Gregory Sharp with the Department of Film History at USC, on location to discuss the morbid history of this particular movie house. In the 1920s, movie houses were all the rage. As the film industry boomed in Hollywood, they needed larger and more extravagant places to premiere them. Sid Grauman was a showman and entrepreneur who opened up two of the most iconic, the Egyptian Theater in 1922 and the Chinese Theater in 1927 historical landmarks still in operation to this day. What isn't as well-known were his rivals, chief among them, Rudolf Carter. Carter was a German expat who left Europe shortly after the Great War and businessman who ran the company Carter Construction Unlimited. His work was primarily in housing, but he had ambition. His wife, Sophia, was an American singer and actress who purportedly met one another at a screening of Robert Wine's Cabinet of Dr. Caligari in 1921. Rudolf was a noted fan of German Expressionist movies and even had his own archive. Rudolf Carter had trouble getting a foot in the door of the entertainment industry. He tried to buy his way in, leading to some unfinished vehicles for his wife. Deciding to try and one-up Grauman, Carter opted to build his own movie house and cement his reputation. Construction beginning in 1927, shortly after the release of Fritz Lang's sci-fi opus, Metropolis. Rudolf was obsessed with the film, watching his personal reel at least once a week, reportedly which is what inspired him to make the theater in the style of the film. Tall, looming, lots of concrete and shadow. At the center, a life-size replica of the android Maria from the movie. Nobody is certain if he ever actually secured the rights, but he insisted on inviting Lang to the grand opening. He declined. Rudolph became so single-minded on completing the project that he canceled other endeavors for his construction company to make up for it. 
he became increasingly irritable and paranoid. One night, the police were called after he reportedly struck his wife for interrupting his weekly Metropolis screening. No charges were made due to Sophia refusing to pursue. Her relationship continued down a rocky road as construction on the Sunset Metropolis Theater near completion. When it opened, it was to an enormous crowd. Rudolph invited everyone he could, and even let loose rumors there would be alcohol to increase attendance. Even so, it was his shining achievement. The press called the Metropolis an authoritative and empowering theater, due to the style of architecture. The odd thing was, Sophia was nowhere to be seen. Rudolph insisted she was at home, sick. Just as the movie began, a terrible scream was heard outside. The audience exited the theater and found Rudolph had been crushed to death under the heavy steel frame of the statue of Maria. Police declared the death a murder and soon searched the Carter home. There was no sign of Sophia Carter, but it looked like there had been a fight. The entire living room was in disarray, broken furniture and even bullet holes in the walls. Sophia Carter was never found, but was presumed to have had a hand in Rudolph's death. Soon, the theater was bought by a local film distributor, but the damage had already been done. The public called the Metropolis cursed after the murder, and considering everything else that has occurred at the theater over the years, I'm inclined to agree. Oh, what a dreadful debut! And that's only the beginning, Cadavers. Stick around to find out just how cursed the Sunset Metropolis really is. Let's move forward in time to the psychotic 60s, where a Sunset Metropolis ticket taker learns that some habits die hard in 1966. You never forget your first job, especially when it's haunted. Everyone knew about the Sunset Metropolis Theater, or the Metro. By 1966, it was more of a dollar theater, a dumping ground for movies on their way out, or movies that nobody wanted to see. Nobody really went there as much as the major theater, so I figured it'd be easy money. People were really wary of the place after what had happened last year. This projectionist, James Hodge. You see, he was working there for years, some say since Rudolph Carter opened the theater. During a screening of The Sound of Music, he croaks, had a heart attack, and no one could hear him call for help from the projection booth. And some people, customers and staff, they say that his ghost still haunts the theater he died in. I didn't believe in that crap. It was just an urban legend like Bloody Mary or Sewer Gators. So I go about my business, do my thing. Stock the concession stand, sweep the lobbies after they go in, sweep the theaters when they leave. Simple as that. I had only worked there a couple weeks when it happened. It was... A slow Tuesday night, and a movie had just let out. My manager bailed early, told me to close the place myself. All I had to do was make sure everyone was out of the theater and everything was locked. I'm stuffing popcorn bags into the garbage when the lights go out. The auditorium lights, that is. The screen still lit up, which was weird because I thought the projectionist had left. I guess I'd have to take care of that too. Then out of the corner of my eye... I see something. I thought the place was empty, but in that dark theater, there was some dude just sitting towards the back, looking down at me. I turn and say, Sir, you're going to have to leave. And 
as the words spill out of my mouth, I realize that there's no one there at all. The theater actually was empty. I brush it off. You see, your eyes play tricks on you when you've been working in the dark so long. So I head through the stairwell, into the back, and walk up to the projection booth. Phil, the projectionist, is long gone. Must have left with the boss. The place is cluttered. Film cans all over the place, extra reels on the ground, old movie posters stacked up. I know enough about projecting to turn it off, so I flick a couple switches, but nothing. The jam projector won't turn off. I flip the switches over and over and over, but, but it doesn't change. And then the projector actually starts playing something without the reel going through it. The damn sound of music. I see it on the screen in Technicolor, and I, I start backing out. No explanation for what's happening. Then I hear a clang. A film can fell over, and then, and then another one, and, and another one, and, and then they, they start floating after me like someone's moving them on strings. And I bolt for the door. I try to get through the fire exit, but the, the goddamn thing just won't budge. I have to escape through the theater. When I get in, the movie's playing, but... But it's, it's just the opening song on loop. The, the hills are alive. The, the hills are alive. The, the hills are alive. Over and over and over again. And I, I thought, oh my God, I'm going crazy. And then I see him. Pale skin. Those bottle cap glasses. Still wearing the old theater uniform. It's James Hodge. Looking up at me, standing in front of the screen. I'll never forget hearing him over the roar of the projection yell, The show must go on. I screamed my head off and I ran as fast out those doors as my feet could carry me. I tell my boss the story and, and we call the cops, mostly just to make sure it wasn't some prank by an overeager film fanatic or, or I wasn't tripping. The projector's off when we return, but we do find something. An old film can with the sound of music and a pair of bottle cap glasses. I quit the next day and I never returned. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, looks like old James Hodge is putting in the ultimate overtime. Stick around through the break, cadavers. Like Hodge said, the show must go on. Is it getting hot in here? Must be our next story. 
let's boogie to the satanic 70s, where Daria discovers sex, drugs, and death during 1977. You never expect to meet the devil. Then one day he appears. They were doing a bunch of Satan-themed movies at the Sunset Metropolis Theater. Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, and some movie I never heard of before. The Ninth Circle. The flyer said this little-known film had recently been rediscovered. It was the last movie made by some artsy director named Dante Diamond. They say he was a legit devil worshiper and made the movie as kind of a way of opening a portal to hell. We wanted to see it to believe it. We go in, and there's a sizable crowd for midnight. The theater's decked out with posters, devil dolls, even the ushers wearing devil masks. Kind of funny buying a soda and popcorn dress like that, but whatever. So we sit down, have some laughs at the guy with the devil mask trying to introduce the show and tripping on stage. The Ninth Circle supposedly opens a portal to hell, so hang on to your seats, he warned. We laugh it up, thinking this was going to be a fun watch. How wrong we were. The lights go down and the movie plays. Starts off with a bearded guy in a robe spilling blood over a pentagram and saying some junk in Latin. Then he says, Come now, Satan, I beseech thee. Open the gates and open hell upon us. The theater seems to shake. Your mother, someone yelled in the audience. We broke out into laughter. On the screen, the devil emerged before the summoner. Big, red horns. Everything you'd expect, but something seemed off. It was almost like looking at a 3D image without those red and blue glasses. I am the first of the fallen, Lucifer in the flesh. If it's hell you want, hell you shall receive. He pointed at the screen. At us. It felt warm in the theater. Hot. I was feeling dizzy. Then, a giant red hand shot through the screen. And at us, everybody screamed in sheer terror. I swore I saw those claws slice the people in the front row to ribbons. I ran for the door, forgetting my friends in pure panic. I opened the doors for the lobby, and all I see are flames. We are truly in hell. The hokey devil mass ushers now replaced with actual demons. Snarling horned fiends crawling towards us. The crowd hits us like a tsunami. I'm knocked against the wall. I see people yelling, crying, praying. The devil on screen reaching for anyone it can grip like a bear trying to grab its prey through a hole. It's sheer pandemonium. People jam themselves against the walls or run through the roaring flames. I feel sleepy. The hit to my head and the heat was taking me out. One devil approached me and removed his head. It was the summoner guy, the bearded dude from the movie. He just smiled and said, Welcome to hell. I blacked out. When I came to, I was strapped to a gurney with an IV in my arm and stitches on my head. There were cops, fire trucks, and ambulances everywhere. I was delirious. But turns out hell didn't open up in our theater. Some asshole spiked the soda and popcorn butter with LSD and set the theater on fire. I was okay, and my friends managed to make it out. But a few people died in that place. They never caught the guy. Ooh, sounds like Daria had a hell of a good time. I mean, who doesn't like a little immersive horror? 
Speaking of horror, more from the Sunset Metropolis after this. Something tells me you cadavers have a lot in common with our next storyteller. He and his friends love a real good horror film, but things get a little too real in 1983. Some people just can't handle a movie. It's crazy. Like, they should just listen to that trailer for Last House on the Left. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. Anywho, my name is George. Me and my buddies in high school ran the Hollywood Horror Club. Nothing fancy. It was just a way for us to organize, watch horror movies together, and discuss and argue about them afterward. It was me... My sister Heather, her boyfriend Bruce, my best friend Rod, and our classmate Jill. We had some good times. So, we want to go to the premiere of the new Mall set slasher movie, Mall. That's M A U L, little play on words. We wanted to avoid the crowd, so we figured if we went to that little rat hole, the Sunset Metropolis, there wouldn't be that many people on opening night. How wrong we were. There was this mob of people picketing outside with signs and bullhorns and crap. Pretty sure a few were flying American flags and pictures of Jesus and Ronnie Reagan. Miss Queen of the PTA, Joan Marsh, at the forefront. She hated horror movies and especially slashers so much she banned scary books from the public libraries and wanted to try and get horror movies out of the theaters. She started a group called Parents Against Graphic Atrocities Now or Pagan. That acronym couldn't be a coincidence. And she's screaming, get these violent, filthy pictures out of here before someone gets hurt. Like we could actually get hurt watching a movie. We walked by, flipped them off. We knew the Sunset Metropolis had a weird history behind it. Like that satanic fire a few years ago and how the place was haunted. But it just added to the charm, really. Seeing that big poster for Mall in the lobby, classic. Big scary hand holding out an axe over a nice looking mall. Teens running, blood dripping down the sides. Now that's art. Before we got to the action, I needed some relief. I hid up the bathroom and was washing my hands when something caught my attention. Namely the puddle in the corner from under a stall. I know what you're thinking, but it was a dark puddle. It was blood. A shitload of it. The door was locked, but I could see feet and pulled down pants. Hey, you okay in there, man? As if I didn't already know there was a problem. When there was no reply, I broke down the door. It took a few hits, but it swung open, and there was a dude sitting there. A knife jabbed into his eye. It was so deep, it pinned him to the goddamn wall. Not a good way to go. I screamed and ran the hell out of there, leaving a trail of bloody footprints behind me. I've seen enough horror movies to know that if I stuck around, I'd be a goner too. I ran straight into the theater to warn my friends and family and get them out of there. I find them and start yammering, freaked but trying not to make a scene. My family's confused and people tell me, shut the hell up and chill out. Heather tries to calm me. My sister can tell I'm being serious. But before I can get any further, Bruce screams. Ah! Not because someone got stabbed in the movie, but because someone just stabbed him from behind. A masked guy sitting in the row behind us. He wore a blank mask like some unmolded clay covering his face. 
Bruce is screaming. Ah! Everyone's screaming. We barely have time to react when we jump to our feet and hightail it for the lobby. As soon as we get there, Jill gets an ax to her chest. The killer was there. I didn't know how it could be possible. It's like they teleported like Star Trek. Then I hear screams from the concession stand. Another mass killer chomping up at a dude like Lizzie Borden. A couple on a date getting stabbed by the payphone. There's a whole squad of these maniacs. There's blood everywhere. The major misconception people have about horror fans is that just because we like violent, scary movies that we're desensitized. Yeah, to fake violence. Seeing people getting murdered all around us would have made me piss myself if I hadn't already just gone. I was on the ground, ready to cry, ready to pray. One of those psychos raised an ax on me when, crash, Heather smashes the glass poster case for Maul right over the dude's head. He screams, covered in glass shards. She saved my life. Rod's fighting off another dude when we hear the police sirens. Most of them scatter as the SWAT team busts down the door. Before anything else, I tear that glass-encrusted mask off the killer's head. And it's Joan Marsh. That psycho protest lady was a full-blown murderous psycho lady. At her trial, it was revealed she had a crazy scheme to get horror movies like Maul banned by claiming they actually incite violence. Jill managed to survive her axe wound, but it was a long road to recovery. Bruce died of his wounds. Heather was devastated. Rye needed years of therapy, but we stuck together. And I never lost my love of horror movies. Although, I never did go back to the Sunset Metropolis Theater. Well, that proves it. You have to be insane to protest horror, right? Well, if you think horror haters suck, wait till you hear this next tale after the break. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. There's just something so romantic about the movies, eh, Cadavis? The silver scream, the buttery chopcorn. <laughs> well, the Sunset Metropolis is the perfect place to meet Mr. Wright, as Julia discovers in 1994. Life is about finding connections with each other or to ourselves. I worked nine to five at an agency. I had friends. I had a pet turtle. I needed more. A soulmate. My luck with men was... Who am I kidding? There was nothing good there. Every date went nowhere, or they just wanted to get me into bed. I'd given up on a very simple aspect of life. Love, which is why I went to the movies so often. There was where I found a connection. It was my third time seeing Interview with the Vampire. I usually liked seeing rom-coms by myself or with friends, but this was even better. Something about Lestat and Louis' relationship transcending time made me feel good. 
The film had been out for a while, and no one went to the Sunset Metropolis Theater anymore. It was a good place to be alone and enjoy the films without having to worry about people. But as the movie began, I saw someone in the glow of the screen. A pale man, strong chin, wavy blonde hair. He seemed to glow himself. This is the man I've been waiting for. He caught me looking at him. I tried to keep my attention to the screen. I felt a bit embarrassed. Then he moved next to me and smiled. A warm smile despite that cold theater. My connection to the movie seemed to shrink and shrink. Who was this man? I turned toward him, his smile widening, and I could see more clearly. He had fangs, teeth so pearly white they glowed in the dark. He looked at me knowingly. I saw them because he wanted me to see. Or maybe it was all in my head, but it couldn't be. He wrapped his arm around me. He felt cold. It was just us in there. I had seen the movie before, so we talked. He said his name was David Blake, that he wanted to meet someone at a movie like this due to his condition. He too was looking for love. I'm just looking for warmth and connection. Those words ringing in my ears, his eyes, they, they hypnotized me. How old are you? I asked. He sighed. Centuries, but time has lost meaning for me. That did sound lonesome. We talked through the rest of the film. He spoke of love, death, and undeath. He leaned closer to me by the second, until his breath was on my neck, teeth ghosting over my throat. Then I felt those fangs break my skin and make me bleed. It happened in a flash. The shot rang out through the theater, David crying out in agony clutching his bleeding chest. He didn't say anything but gurgle and collapse to the ground. I put the gun back in my purse. I stayed and watched the life drain out of him and into the puddle of blood in the theater. They let me off because they considered it self-defense. The LAPD was looking for the Valley Vampire who had been stalking Los Angeles for ages. I was a hero. And for the first time in a long time, it felt good to be by myself. Oh, Julia, looking for love in all the dead wrong places. Oh, well, there's plenty more bats in the belfry. Stick around, cadavers. I have one last ticket to the Sunset Metropolis, just for you. Welcome to our last tale of the evening. And I have no problem saying it's out of this world. Here's Christina to tell you about her time at the Sunset Met in 2012. I don't believe in curses, but I do believe tragedy can be cyclical. I was the manager of the Sunset Metropolis Theater when it was remodeled and reopened. Thanks to the new nonprofit grant, some locals wanted to brush the dark history of the theater under the rug and bring it back to its former glory. 
If anything, that infamous reputation got us even bigger crowds opening weekend. Mostly, I think people wanted to forget their troubles. All this talk about 2012 and the end of the world was weighing heavy on people. Some Mayan calendar thing? I didn't care. I had a sold-out theater to contend with. I was a bit worried about one thing. The chariots. They were a cult. They called themselves God's Chariots because they were going to usher in the alien gods for their return to Earth. The cult's leader, Sam McPherson, called me up a week before, wanted to rent the place to screen the movie that will serve as the signal. I didn't know what that meant, but no way in hell were they hosting some crazy home video alien movie here. They were pissed. Made some threats and had a bus filled with their followers drive by the theater a few times a day. Just scare tactics, I told myself. I hired some security guards as an extra precaution. We had sold-out shows of Lame as Rob, a soda shortage, and somebody puked in the lobby. The opening was off to a great stop. In the midst of the crowds of family and Christmas vacationers, I see this guy, wearing kind of a robe, cloak. There's a halo over his head, some flashlight-type device hooked around his neck. Must be one of those chariot guys. I moved to ask him to leave, but by the time I could squeeze by, he's gone. Eventually, things slow down. Just me and the ushers in the lobby restocking, cleaning, that sort of thing. Then some parents walk out of the theater. They tell me they're playing the wrong movie in their screening. I walk in and sure enough, there's something absolutely insane playing. Some kind of newsreel montage of alien sighting footage and this weirdo techno music blasting. Sam McPherson is on the screen in between shots. Rejoice! The end is nigh! Our gods will soon return to free us! I immediately call Benny, our projectionist, to see what's up. But I just get static on the walkie-talkie. I run up there and... I'm still haunted by what I found. Benny. Stabbed to death. At least a couple dozen times. Blood everywhere. Those goddamn cultists. I'm about to call the cops when a voice rings out. Hold thy tongue! It's Sam McPherson. Dude looks strung out. Eyes dilated, big freaky beard. Wearing that same robe and halo as that dude in the lobby. And he's holding up a big hunting knife at me. You cannot deny our ascension, he growls, grinning wide and showing me his yellow teeth. Once the film ends, so do our lives. What can I do in this situation? Management never trained me for this. All I know is, I gotta turn off that movie. I move for the projector when he attacks. Wrestling me to the ground, he pulls a knife, and just as he's about to slit my throat, he gasps. Freezing. He's terrified. Why? I don't know, but I take that opportunity to push him. He trips over something and flies through the projection booth window. The crowd screams in terror. I pull the plug on the projector. His followers gather around his dead body, unsure what to do without him. Nobody innocent was hurt during the ordeal, and management gave me a pay raise to keep working at that loony bin. No aliens came out that night. But the craziest part was that Sam tripped over a film can of Sound of Music. A film... 
shouldn't have been there. I don't believe in the supernatural, but I believe this is one seriously messed up theater. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. I guess the ghost of James Hodge still roams the projection booth. Well, you know what they say. What goes around comes around. And what's come around is the end of our time together. I hope you enjoyed our six stories about the Sunset Metropolis. And do come visit me again soon. We have many more short, scary stories to share. Sweet dreams, my little cadavers. <laughs> You've made it through the night. Congrats. Let's get going before that changes. The six stories you've just heard were written by Jacob Davison. Tonight's production starred Todd Lights, Gogo Lomo David, Mary Catherine Greenewald, Todd Denson, Kayla Jeffries, Jacob Davison, and Kate Peterson. With editing by Andrea Listenberg. I believe you can find your way home from here. Until next time, farewell. <laughs>